We are in a conversation today about how to have um, a better life. We've been in a conversation now for several weeks about how our faith enables us to have a better life. But before we talk about that, I want you to imagine the opposite. I want you to imagine a, a catastrophe. I want you to imagine a terrible catastrophe. In fact, I want you to imagine one you can't imagine. So I'm going to try and help guide you just to give you some sense of the scope of the tragedy that, that I'd like you to imagine. Uh, I want you to imagine a catastrophe that struck our state and killed 13,000 people. Just imagine how, how bad that would be. Or let me, let me bring it home a little bit. This is the Anchorage Matsu area. Imagine a tragedy that killed 7,000 people just from this area. Or if that's not bothersome enough, how about this? This is our mission field, the area south of the airport and west of O'Malley. There's 30,000 people who live here. Imagine a tragedy that killed 600 people just from this neighborhood. 600 people killed and 400 more people wounded. Imagine that tragedy. Or to bring it right here to our doorstep, 125 people have worshipped in this congregation since the beginning of the year. Imagine a tragedy that killed two of us and left two of us wounded. Imagine that kind of horrific Tragedy. Well, there was such a tragedy in our nation's history. It was the Civil War. That is the scope of the horror of the Civil War. And it's easy for us to forget at this distance, but it was a reality that people in the mid-1800s had to live with. And in March of 1865, Abraham Lincoln was preparing his second term, to, to begin his second term, and... That was the problem he was facing as he looked out on his country. How can I make sense of what has happened over the last four years? How can I make sense of this horrific slaughter that has been going on for four years? Now, as it happens, the war ended only two months later, but Lincoln would not live to see that. Lincoln was assassinated before Grant received Lee's surrender at Appomattox. So Lincoln did not know that the war would be shortly over. So what would he say? Well, we know what he said. He delivered the second inaugural address. That's a picture, one of the um, early photographs of that era. Uh, We can see Lincoln there in the middle um, giving this address. And it is a remarkable address in part because of its brevity. It is short enough to, to be written on the side of a building. It's written on the side of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. You can go read it today. Um, it's remarkable. Um, it's, it's 700 words long, and uh, that's about, just for scale, that's about half the length of, of President Trump's um, address in 2017, and it's about a third the length of President Obama's address in 2013. So it was very brief um, uh, even by the standards of its era, and certainly by today's standards. But it is not simply that it is brief. It is that it is filled with theological language. In 700 words, Abraham Lincoln quotes the Bible four times. And we may think, well, what's so unusual about that? I mean, they used to read their Bible back in the olden days, and they were more religious, so of course they had they had Bible verses in their, in their speeches. Um, we do that today, but they didn't back then. Back then, there only one inaugural address had included a quote from the Bible. Forty years earlier, John Quincy Adams, when he was inaugurated, he included in the last line, 
as kind of a throwaway remark, kind of wishing that God would be good for the nation, he throws in a, a line from Psalm 127. It's the only time prior to Lincoln's second inaugural address when anybody quoted the Bible in an inaugural, inaugural address. Lincoln quoted it four times in 700 words. He mentions God 14 times, and he makes constant reference to prayer. This address has sometimes been called America's Sermon. Because when Lincoln was faced with the horror of the war, he turned to the Bible to make sense of that reality. And we can read some of his thinking here. In the first two paragraphs, he explains that neither side wanted the war. One side wanted to continue slavery without a war, and the other side wanted to abolish slavery without a war. And yet he says the war came. And so he moves on to the third paragraph, what happened since the war came. And he goes into some length, but he concludes the paragraph this way. He says, finally, do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Who wouldn't want that, given the circumstances? But he says, God is just, and that's a problem. He says, yet, if God wills it, that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid with another drawn by the sword, if God is just, what would happen then? And he says, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Lincoln turns to Psalm 19, the one we just heard read. This is the King King James language. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We heard it in a more modern translation. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. So why this history lesson? Why tell you about Lincoln's second inaugural address? You're not going to have another civil war. And if you were, you wouldn't be the president. You wouldn't even be the mayor. So why am I telling you this? Why a history lesson? Well, the reason is because you will have problems. Jesus told us in so many words. He said, in this world, you will have problems. Lincoln had his problems, obviously, to preside over a nation at war, America's bloodiest war, more deaths in the, in the Civil War than in every war on either side, every war America's engaged in for 200 and some years, more than half were in the Civil War. But Lincoln had the kind of problems we have too. In 1850, his son died at age four. And then in 1862, another son died at age 12. Lincoln knew personal and national tragedy. And it's not hard to imagine that when he was faced with the big problems, the big problems of life and the big problems of statehood, Lincoln turned to the Bible. So we are in a conversation talking about how to have a better life. And what I propose to you is that you can have a better life because you can find direction and meaning 
by reading scripture. You will find comfort, you will find peace, but you will find answers to the questions you have, as Lincoln did. So that's what I want to talk about in the time we have remaining. So I want to talk about reading the Bible and why you should read the Bible. Because, as I said, I do believe you will find direction and meaning as you do so. And the first reason is because God will reward you for doing so. God says so in so many words. He says, I will reward you. We read in in um, the Psalms, uh, the psalmist says, um, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. That same promise is available to you and I. Jesus says, uh, there was a woman who said, who said, your mother sure was lucky to have such a great son. And Jesus, she says, she says, um, the, the woman who nursed you and the, the womb that bore you, how blessed she was. And Jesus, Jesus says, yes, she was fortunate to have such a great son. But she says, there could only be one of them, but everybody can read the Bible. And he says this, he says, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. More blessed than to be the mother of the Lord. In the book of Joshua, we read that as Joshua is leading the people of God into the promised land, God tells him, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And I know, I know, we're busy. But in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that the king, the king, Probably the busiest person in ancient Israel. What is the king supposed to do? The king must copy for himself the Bible. How'd you like to do that? Now, it was a shorter Bible. In, at the time of the, the book of Deuteronomy, it was just five books. But still, sit down and start copying Leviticus and see how much time you suddenly find you have time to do other things. So, God will reward you for reading the Bible. But reading the Bible is also how we appreciate Jesus. I used to have a boss, and whenever you'd talk to him, he would say, he would say either, uh-huh, if, if he agreed with what you were saying, or if you were giving him new information, then he would say, I didn't appreciate that. And it was this weird little phrase he used, because it made you wonder, did I offend him somehow? You know, I didn't appreciate that. And what he meant was, I didn't, I didn't realize that, I didn't, I didn't uh, know that, and I, I don't, I, I did not value the information until now you've given it to me and now I do. And reading the Bible is how we can appreciate Jesus. We can understand Jesus better, but also we can appreciate Jesus. We can, we can value what Jesus has done, Jesus has said. We can value Jesus by reading the Bible. Jesus told his disciples on the day of his resurrection, he, 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 he appeared among two of them who were walking to Emmaus, and he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. So he took them through the Hebrew scriptures. There was no New Testament. There wasn't anything that told us about the way Jesus met the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So Jesus took them through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and he explained from the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Jesus said the scriptures point to him. And in fact, he said that to some critics in John's gospel. He said, uh, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. It's not the scriptures that give you eternal life. The scriptures point to me and I give you eternal life. So the way we find eternal life is by searching the scriptures to find Jesus who gives us eternal life. 
The Apostle Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. The Apostle Paul became a Christian in maybe uh, 35, 36 AD, so a year or two after the time of the resurrection. And he said, they told me, because I was not a follower, <laughs> far from it, uh, I was not a follower, and they told me what I needed to know about Jesus. And I'm passed on, on to you exactly what they told me. I passed on what had, what had been told to me. What was that? That Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures said. Which scriptures? Again, for Paul, they would have been the Hebrew scriptures. Christ died as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scriptures said, as the Hebrew scriptures said. Christianity has always believed, since the time of Paul, walking on the road to Damascus almost, that the Hebrew scriptures point to Jesus just as much as the New Testament. You say, yeah, I know, but the Bible's kind of dry. I could believe better. I would, I would have more comfort if I had some supernatural wonder that took place in my life. If I had a miracle, if, if I just felt your hand on me, if I saw you working in my life, God, then I would believe. Jesus, Jesus told a parable about, about a man who said the same thing. He said, he said, they won't believe the Bible. Don't, don't, don't try and convince them with the Bible. But if you send me, I can tell them. And then they will believe it, that, that, that if you just send me Jesus, then my, my family will believe. And Jesus said in his parable, Abraham, this is not Abraham Lincoln, this is the Abraham that Lincoln is named after. Uh, Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't read the Bible, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So if you're looking for a miracle in your life, God may give you one, but... He may put it after you read the Bible, not before. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a clue. I'm going to give you a key that will help you read the Bible, to help you make sense of the hard passages. He says this. He says, you must love the Lord with all your, your, your God, with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. He says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets Everything we find from Genesis to Revelation, the entire scripture can be summed up. It can be based on these two commandments. Jesus gives us a key and says, this is how you get through those hard passages. You say, how does this point to Jesus and how does it help me to love God and love my neighbor? But Jesus says, more than that, I'm not just going to give you the cliff notes. I'm going to give you a helper. You will be helped by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. If you want to understand what God is doing in your life, what God's plan is for your life, listen to the scripture as the Holy Spirit opens them up to you. Jesus says this, he says, when the spirit of truth, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. That every person of the Trinity is involved. When you read the Bible, God rewards you. You you appreciate Jesus in a new way, and the Holy Spirit opens up the Scriptures to you. So... 
One way we can do that is by listening to the Holy Spirit working to us through community. Those of you who have ever been in a group Bible study, you know sometimes somebody else will say something, and it is exactly the right word, it is exactly the right thought, and it crystallizes everything that was going on in your head, and suddenly you've got the words or you've got the the framework to understand something that you were puzzling over. The Holy Spirit often speaks to us in community. That is not a new thing. In the book of Acts, we read the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They came to church on Sunday, and they listened to the preacher preach. They did that, but then they did something else. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if the preacher was telling the truth. It's not enough to simply come to worship on Sunday, hear me say something about the Bible. Instead, go home. Or get together in a group and read what it says. Read the Bible. And when you do, then miracles start taking place. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. So, read your Bible. That's actually the application. This is an easy application. Um, Not as easy as last week's because those of you who are here last week have already done last week's. You came back to worship. But this week, I'm going to give you one that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. And... It is to read your Bible. Read your Bible daily. Do this for a week. I'm going to give you some some um, some advice, and I, I, I'm qualified to give you some advice. This is a study that um, that uh, Lifeway did a couple of years ago. It's a study of um, they asked people how much of the Bible have you read, and you can see the big chunk there is 30 percent, several passages or stories. But I'm going to zoom in in the good half. I'm hoping everybody in here is in the good half. You guys get the, the little, uh, you know, the halo over your head because you're the good people. So, so, um, uh, 15% have read at least half of the Bible and 12% have read everything except Leviticus. Um, no, no, I, I don't know what part they didn't read, but it says almost all of it. And then, um, 11% have read all of it and, um, 9% are the teacher's pets. We've read it more than once. So, just out of curiosity, um, uh, no, I won't even add. We're not going to have a show of hands. Um, so, so, um, so, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, how do you actually read the Bible? For assuming I'm persuading you, or assuming that that the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you really do need to read the Bible, how do you actually do that? So, what I want to do is tell you how to do that. Step one is to get a Bible. So, that that's like easy, right? So, uh, what Bible do you get? The modern translations are all good. They are so good. They they are spectacularly good. Just just the difference in 30 years, the amount of scholarship, you know, there's people cranking out PhDs around the country and around the world because they're doing such amazing scholarship. They're finding they're finding manuscripts from the middle of the desert someplace, you know, from, you know, 145 AD. They're just always finding they're doing archaeological research. The newer the Bible, the more of that you'll be able to profit from. So, the modern translations are all good. Um, uh, I've been a pastor for 13 years. I have yet to see an issue um, in the Greek or the Hebrew that wasn't accounted for in an English translation. So, I mean, it just doesn't come up anymore. The scholarship is that good. Now, here's my recommendations. I like the NLT and the CEB. That's the New, Life, uh, New Living Translation in the Common English Bible because they are, they are designed to be read by people. Um, the, uh, the other three are more literal. Um, they're, they're better for study. They're, they're good for study. The uh, New International Version, the, the Christian Standard Bible, and the English Standard Version, those are all great translations. Um, they're all recent, and the language is, uh, is more up-to-date. They don't use archaic words. Um, the, the first two are really designed to get the idea across. The next three are designed to, um, to be more word-for-word. Uh, uh, so get a Bible. Um, the older ones are in black and white, but I see nowadays the, the cool new ones are in color. 
So they just throw color ink at the page, and the maps are all in color now and so forth. But if you don't want to kill a bunch of trees, you can kill some electrons instead, because if you have a smartphone, you can get a Bible. There's so many different smartphone apps for Bibles. So uh, there's one for Android right there, and there's one for um, iOS, and there's lots of lots of varieties of them. If you don't have a phone, you can still go to the library and use the, the old-fashioned web like people used to do way back in the olden days. Um, and uh, so, so uh, a website I like is Bible Gateway. One of the reasons I like it is because they've got so many translations. You can compare them side by side. You want to see King James and um, New Living Translation next to each other or something like that. You can do that. In this picture, I don't know if you can see it. It's um, it's Icelandic and Spanish. So if uh, if you're wondering how exactly does that come across in the original Icelandic, you know, there we can find that out. Um, there's also a U version, um, uh, the U version website. And I was going to put a list of URLs in here, but I thought, you know what? I don't need to give you URLs because they are so easy. So everybody say Bible.com. Bible.com. All right. So if you can remember Bible.com, then you can get to one of them. But if you cannot, if if Bible.com, it's like, ah, what was that URL? It's like, I can't, I want to get a Bible online and I can't, something. If you can't do that, then what I recommend is go to Google and type something in that sounds biblical. Okay. And Google will Google will guess what you're talking about. But beyond that, Google will give you a whole bunch of links to Bible websites. So you don't even have to remember what the URL is. If you can remember what Google is and type something biblical, you know, uh, John 3.16 or something, then Google will do the rest. And it'll give you a page full of Bible places you can go to. So, so get a Bible, and it could be an actual physical one, but it doesn't have to be. So, um, so the first one is get a Bible. Um, now, some, some, some advice from one of the people who's, one of the nine percent who's, who's read the Bible many times. So, um, there is no prize for quantity. You don't get bonus points in heaven, and I don't think you get particularly stunning new insights when you go through the Bible, um, very fast. Um, I used to buy one of these every year, and then scribble in it over the course of the year. It's a it's a one-year Bible, and you read the whole Bible in one year. It takes about 15 minutes a day, so it's not a big investment of time. You can do it, but I found myself kind of racing through sections and saying, well, you know, how do you, you know, this is one day's reading, you know, what do you take out of that? Um, so I actually would encourage you slow down and enjoy the, the ride. Um, so there is no price or quantity. Read a manageable amount, and I've got some tips on that in a minute. Uh, read for appreciation. The whole idea is to enjoy this. This is something you're going you're gonna to hear from God. God's going to reward you. God's going to give you clarity, insight, direction, meaning. So read for appreciation. Don't read to kind of get to the finish line. So read for appreciation. And in order to do a read for appreciation, I suggest you follow the rabbit trails. You're not trying to... to you know, get through a, a, a text. You're trying to understand. So what do I mean by rabbit trails? Well, if you open up a typical Bible, they've got these little sections that are not the Bible. And what they are is their, their cross-references or their, their notes. The notes usually have got um, things in there where they say, well, if you want more information, go see this other passage somewhere else, right? Um, or there's cross-references. And one of the neat things about cross-references is there are so many. There's a guy named um, Chris Harrison, who tried to visualize how many cross-references there are in the Bible. So he took, he took a data set with 66,000 um, cross-references throughout the Bible, and he just tried to plot them all. This verse points to that verse. So, so he made this map, and you can see um, the more you zoom in, the more you see there's just a lot of cross-references in the Bible. And, you know, if you're, if you're reading your Bible and you go, wait, 
Didn't Jesus say something about that somewhere else? Look off to the side, because it could very well be that Jesus did. And not only that, but the editors of your Bible know about that, and they're going to direct you off to Matthew 18 or whatever it is. So so that that thought, didn't Jesus say something about that? You know, take that seriously. That could be the Holy Spirit nudging you and saying, you know, you could get more out of this passage if you understood it in light of this other passage. So, So don't be afraid to follow the rabbit trails. But having said that, the footnotes aren't inspired. So they do a great job. They, they, I've never seen a Bible where they... Well, I've seen Bibles where I've quibbled with a footnote. But as a general rule, the footnotes are always great. So n- not, not bashing footnotes, not telling you have to get one that doesn't have footnotes. But really, you want to try and read it like it didn't have footnotes. So when you get a Bible like that, um, what you want to do is kind of squint and not see all of the extra stuff. Because... That's not inspired. You know, they put that heading there, Thanksgiving and prayer. Paul didn't put that there. They broke it up into little verses and put numbers next to them, right? Paul didn't do that either. So try to remember, before you get all dogmatic on your friend or your neighbor, the person at work, um, remember that the, the headings, the, the numbers, the footnotes, the maps, none of that is inspired. That the biblical text is what's inspired. So don't, don't, don't be a jerk. And in fact, the first step of, of, um, not being a jerk is to use your head. And I know, reading the Bible and using your head both at the same time, what a concept, right? Because there's a lot of people who you say, well, you could do this better. And what do I mean by that? I mean, pay attention to what you're reading. You know, take it seriously. Take it as seriously as you would take a newspaper or a book that you enjoy. So what, the, the two biggest places I see people make mistakes is they misunderstand the genre. There are a lot of different books in the Bible. That's why we call them the book of Ezekiel or the book of Daniel, because there are lots of different books. They're different. So treat them differently. A history book is different than a book of poetry. And I'll just give you one example. The psalmist says uh, that God is a solid rock. Is he promoting idolatry? Is he saying, carve a stone and then you'll have God. No, we know that that's not what he's saying, but he's speaking poetically. He's saying that God is something you can cling to. God is someone who is firm and can't be moved. So pay attention to the genre. Don't treat it with a wooden literalism. It's like, well, okay, I guess God is a solid rock. Okay, you know, <laughs> learn new things every time I open this book. Um, no, take it seriously. Read it in light of the actual genre that you're reading. And second of all, ask what the author's intent is. What is the author's intent? Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, that's the purpose of Scripture. That's the reason that Scripture is given. So when Jesus talks about the Samaritan... He says, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Is Jesus giving us instructions about how to administer first aid? No. That is not the purpose of this passage. When you see somebody across, you know, lying on the side of the road, you're, you are free. Jesus is not insisting that you get out your olive oil. Try to make a salad out of this guy, right? So, so, no. Jesus is saying, administer first aid. Call 911, right? You know, whatever they teach you in first aid classes, do that. Don't be a literalist. Use your head. Treat the Bible seriously. So let me wrap up with this. So um, uh, I'm sure many of you, probably most of you, if I had a show of hands, probably if I had a show of hands, all of you, would be a regular daily Bible reader. But but in case you've stalled out lately or you're you're not getting as much joy out of it, let me give you some starting places, some ideas you, you might consider. So 
First, first place I would recommend anybody start is with the, the biographies of Jesus, the gospel accounts. If you read Matthew through John, that's 3,767 verses. You can read through all four gospel accounts in a year, reading just 10 verses a day, 10.3 verses a day. If you're willing to, to crank it up to 13 verses a day, then you can throw in the book of Acts and see how the early church begins to spread the, the word about Jesus. So um, 13 verses a day will get you uh, through the first five books of the New Testament in just a year. So, And I encourage that. I think 13 verses, that's probably not a bad size. If, if you want something that's um, maybe less historical, maybe it might speak more um, to your heart instead of to your you know what right brain, left brain thing. So... Um, uh, the Psalms are good. There's 150 chapters, so that would be um, one a day for five months. But but I would say some of them are pretty long, and you probably want to chop those up. To, you know, use those head headings to kind of divide them up a little bit. So assume that's going to take six months. That's 17 verses a day. The Book of Proverbs. If you have trouble keeping your place, you're always losing your bookmark. Then. I recommend the book of Proverbs because there's 31 chapters. And so what you can do is you can do one chapter a day. It's 29 verses, very practical stuff, you know, you know, don't spend more money than you have and things like that. So, um, so, uh, so great, great advice in the book of Proverbs. And it's really easy to keep your place if you know what day it is. So, um, there's lots of ways you can read the Bible, but remember the, the reason we read the Bible is because God rewards us when we read the Bible. It's a place where we can learn to appreciate Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants us to succeed at it more than we want to succeed. That when we read the Bible, we find meaning. We find direction. We find comfort. We find our purpose. So, read your Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the Bible. We thank you on this Reformation Sunday. We thank you that we have the Bible in our own language, and we thank you um, for all of the technological um, advantages we have now that give it give us each our own copies of the Bible, um, uh, that that give us copies on our phone that we can we can um, we can look at instead of going into Facebook. Um, Lord, um, we we thank you for the scriptures. Um, we have no excuse not to look at the Bible. We have the time, we have the leisure, we have the accessibility. Lord, change our hearts. Help us to appreciate the Bible, to devote ourselves to hearing your word as you speak it to us through the scriptures. We pray this all through Christ our Lord. Amen.